There's something been curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. So it's been a month and we're into July. That means it's Sky Guide time, so on the other fader should be Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing sir? Happy summer everyone. It's officially summer. Yeah, although... Doesn't look like it. <laughs> no, um, I don't know if you heard this, but the, the, the summer solstice this year was colder than the winter solstice for 2020. Oh, that just says it. You've got to love the UK. That's what we love about it. You never know, do you? Never know. <laughs> but whilst we're on the topic of the sun and things like that, well, we had the eclipse in June. How did that go for you? I was very lucky. I woke up in the morning, got myself a cup of tea, had some brekkie, looked out, 100% cloud. I was like, well, that's typical. I had everything set up ready. And then as it started, it just cleared. I was like, this is like the gods, because it's always Sod's <laughs> law, isn't it? So the Sod of God came out and he cleared it for me. And I was really lucky. I got to see pretty much all of it. And it just started clouding over again towards the end. But it was awesome. I got to use all the stuff that we spoke about the last uh, podcast. You had a go as well, didn't you? Yeah, well, when I was talking to you uh, about it, I said, oh, I've managed to get myself a, a shoebox and uh, I'm going to create a, a projection viewer. And uh, you said you were on your way out to get some boxes so that you could have a go at it yourself. Yeah, I, had to go. I went to B&Q in the end because they actually sell boxes. So I got two boxes together, taped them up, made the hole at one end and did it all. And it worked really well. I was really impressed with it. Yours were quite big boxes in comparison to my shoebox. Yeah, I, I couldn't get any smaller ones. It was, they were the smallest I could get. So what was it? Probably about, if I stood it on its end, it was about hip height, I think, if I'm standing up. So it was quite big. Because <laughs> there was various different versions of the box viewer. Um, as I say, the, the shoebox one that I had where you basically put a little hole beside the foil and then put the, the pinhole through the foil and then it projected it onto the white card at the back. Yeah, so I had a bit of foil at one end and just put a pinhole in it. And then down the other end, I cut like a square out of the side so you could look in there that way. That was how mm -hmm. my one went. But then I've seen people doing it with like long tubes and projecting it down the tube onto paper on the floor and things like that. I think the school did that. I saw they posted in the group. They said they'd read our stuff and they were like, awesome, we're going to try that. So they actually did it, which is really cool. I've also seen one where you can actually stick your head in the box. <laughs> you walk around with a box on your head. Don't do it out the front with all the neighbours or I <laughs> think you've lost the plot. If you do that, draw a face on it. Yeah, a smiley face because you'll scare the kids. <laughs> There are probably about five or six different versions of it, but they all do pretty much the same thing. I was very impressed with the quality of the image that you got from just a little bit of cardboard and some sticky tape. I mean, my one looks like something that I tried to create off a of blue pizza, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, unbelievably so. Um, I wasn't expecting to see the blue of the sky projected onto that back wall. I wasn't expecting that at all. That did surprise me. And you could actually see the clouds actually moving. Mm. Um, I, I thought you were just going to see the, the shape of the sun and, and the chunk missing out of it. I didn't realise yeah, you were going to get that much detail. 
What other versions did you come up with? I tried just two bits of card, one on the floor, one just you hold slightly above with a hole in it. That worked pretty well. It was a small image, but you could still see the sort of chunk taken out of the sun. That was pretty cool. I tried it with a colander. That worked all right as well. You've got lots of little ones. I'd say probably the two bits of paper worked better than the colander because the colander holes were a bit too big, so it didn't project it as well. What else did I do? Did the binoculars. So that's just popping a bit of card on the front of the binoculars with a hole cut out so that one, you know, one lens is visible to the sun and then projected that onto paper. It's really surprising that because you're using two lenses, if you just did it with a magnifying glass, it would have burnt the paper. Yep. But because you're doing it with two lenses that are so many distance apart from each other you're getting the 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 image but you're not getting the heat as much it kind uh, of detracts the heat like you said to do don't have it on for the entire time and i was doing it in yeah. bits of like 15 minutes here yeah we don't really need minutes. to do it. it moves so slowly you've got time to you know have a little look at this time disappear for 15 minutes have another little look. And I kept swapping every now and then from what I was watching it through. So a bit I was yeah. doing it through the binoculars, then I was doing it through the box, then I put the glasses on. Because I've got two different types. I've got the one with just the blacked out lens, and I've got the ones with the, the foil lenses. Because yeah. one of them was given to me by the uh, Letchworth and District Astronomical Society, and the other one was sent to me from John when they had mm. the eclipse over in America. So I tried it through both and you've got two different, distinctly different colours through them, but the foil one, you got the best image f through them. Um, mm. It was absolutely fantastic looking at it through, through that. Yeah, there's something about them, isn't there? Whenever I give the kids the solar glasses and they just look up and see the sun in the sky there as like an orange blob, they always think it's amazing. It's better than looking through a telescope. And I think it's because they're actually looking at it, if you know what I mean. They're looking up into the sky and seeing it. <laughs> Whereas you're looking through a telescope, to kids and that, it's probably, to them, it's just like looking at a screen or looking at a projection. They're not actually seeing it up there. Someone in the group beforehand said, can you put it over like the camera of your phone and take a picture? And I was like, do you know what? I don't know. I think you might be able to. I've never tried it. So that was something else I tried as well. So I spent the whole sort of like, what was it, 11 o'clock through to midday, through to about one-ish, wasn't it, when it ended? Yeah, about that. Yeah, about 12.30, wasn't it? Yeah, and I spent the whole day just playing around with all these different techniques and trying to take pictures with my phone. And it does work. I managed to get the little sort of orange blob and a little cut out of it using the phone. I unfortunately couldn't get my phone to focus very well on it. So yeah. all I got was a an orange blob when I tried to take a photograph through the glasses. Because I used two telescopes. I used uh, just a normal refractor one, which has got a lens in. Because you shouldn't really use, well, don't use mirrors to look at it because it, it doesn't work really. With the lens, did that. Put a special, what's called a, a Herschel wedge on the bottom, which takes all the heat and light out of it. And that gave you a really good white image, but I don't know, with the chunk out of it, it just looked like a round white image with a chunk out. The um, the Herschel wedge, uh, for people not in the know, that's basically a prism, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's, you take what they call the star diagonal, which pretty much just, instead of looking straight through it, like you know how a pirate looks through one, it does it to save your back, so you're not bending over trying to look down the telescope. It just projects it up, easier for you to see. So it's exactly the same as that, apart from it has special stuff inside it that just takes all of the, you know, the dangerous rays and things like that out of it. And then I used the uh, the Hydrogen Alpha, which is a specialised solar scope, a Coronado, I believe it's called. And they're quite expensive. I think they start at about £600 up to like, you know, thousands. And they are only for the sun. 
and that was cool it gave it a really deep red but it's more for slower flares and things like that so it was it was good i think the herschel wedge is better and then the binoculars are even better than that which surprised me i was really taken aback by that the thing i liked about the binoculars is that you can move it closer or further away and the further away you move it the actual image projects bigger yeah on the bit of paper so you can actually see it clearly without actually trying too hard to look at it i got it to about the size of a jaffa cake i suppose that sort of size on the bit of paper yeah you know it doesn't matter what equipment you've got if you've got two pieces of paper you can look at an eclipse that's all you need i was really surprised at what we were able to achieve that morning it was quite spectacular even though it wasn't a full one which we're not going to get for a long time now but um there's another one in america in 2024 which we might be able to get the tail end of that we, we got another partial one i think it's 2026 so i remember there was one 2015 which i saw and that was that went across about half didn't it yeah this one probably only went about a quarter if that because of the, the time of year that that was because it was in march yeah it wasn't great for viewing to be honest uh, i did all right um, but mine came out okay i think this one was better clearer wise mm -hmm. the last one i did was it was cloudy but because i was using the 10 inch dobsonian with a filter on that that thing gathers so much light <laughs> it can it pretty much saw through sort of all the low-lying cloud and i could still see it really well i was just lucky lucky that i went out and bought the biggest scope i could because i'm a muppet <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I was out with the, the guys from the Letchworth and District Astronomical Society for the 2015 one. And they were quite disappointed that they didn't really get to see much. But they did have live streams from the Faroe Islands where it was best viewed. And it was fantastic looking at that. But as they were packing their stuff away, the, <laughs> the clouds started to part. And <laughs> That's always the way. I managed to get a, a picture of the last little chunk out of the side of it and I was actually quite impressed that I managed to get a photo. <laughs> Well, if you've never seen it, like I've never seen it before, before the 2015, and it's just, I don't know, even last month, seeing it again like that, there's just something about, I don't know what it is about it, because really, you're just seeing a circle, and another circle kind of just go across it, and go a little, you know, black, that's it. It's just two circles, really, but I don't know, there's just something about seeing it, isn't there, and being like, that's the moon moving in front of the sun, even though, yeah, okay, it's just the moon moving in front of the sun. I don't know, just seeing it up there and doing it, you think, that's mad, these huge bodies flying around in space, and kind of just brings it home that the moon does actually move <laughs> in front of objects and things like that and one of the great things that i heard during the day um that um one of your youngest volunteers young uh, aston smith his school allowed him to take an hour away from school so that he could go out and look at it through his scope with a filter on and apparently he said it was the best day of his life that's what it's about one kid's gone out there the school have let him have you know a bit of time with his mum and dad they went out there i think i gave him solar glasses because he's got a telescope as well and they got the filter for that yeah and i gave him a pair of solar glasses when we popped and saw him the picture is of him with the solar glasses isn't it Look up and just going wow think about that That's, that could inspire him to do anything now he's gonna remember yeah. that day and he spent it with his family as well so it's a touching moment as I say there's, there's a couple more coming up within the next five years so you know there's more opportunities for for the kids to get out there and have a look so we're always here to help so I think it's time we have a short break and when we come back Russ is gonna advise us all about what's happening in the skies for July
Third Rock Radio, America's space station. Its ongoing mission, explore new worlds of music. Tell the story of those who fly, build, and dream. Rock Radio from Space. Streaming live from thirdrockradio.net. Today, we live in one of the most exciting times in history for space travel and discovery. Missions like NASA's New Horizons and SpaceX's Dragon are expanding our knowledge of how far humans can reach into the universe, from sending satellites into deep space to potentially living on Mars. Inspired by recent discoveries of ancient solar systems and innovations in spaceflight vehicles, the World Space Week Association is planning for the largest space week since its United Nations Declaration in 1999. Organizers and scientists alike hope this focus on discovery will foster discussions about the benefits of advancing space technology and where humans should explore next. I just see it uh, as a beginning, uh, not just this flight, but in this program, which has really been a very short piece of human history, an instant in history. But this instant is gearing up to be one of the most influential and innovative in all of history for science beyond our planet. And this Space Week, we get a front row seat to take part in these activities. Space exploration and research back here on Earth is not just an endeavor for a few. It brings together the best and brightest of all nations and millions of fascinated Earthlings to wonder, work together, and innovate. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. So Ross, July, what have we got? July, we've got not as much dark skies, <laughs> but still plenty to see. So it's not going to get dark till what, probably like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock now. And there's what, there's about an hour's worth maybe of uh, actual true darkness. Even then it's not really that dark, but still tons to see. I mean, as we spoke about last month, there's the noctilucent clouds, which are sort of like burnt up meteor dust and crystals in the high atmosphere. And they sometimes get lit up by the sun after sunset or before sunrise. We spoke about it last month and uh, there's been some really cool pictures coming out. I know, I know Will Cheng got some awesome ones. He's a friend of ours, an astronomer. And, you know, he's our astrophotographer for UK astronomy because he's brilliant. Almost the whole sky has been kind of lit up by these clouds. It looks absolutely amazing. It's been very prominent this year, hasn't it? Yeah, because usually you just get like a little patch here and there, but it's almost like the whole sky has got these wispy white and blue clouds. So yeah, keep an eye out. I think I believe it's about 45 minutes sort of after sunset or before sunrise. Pop out, have a look. The sunrise is probably what, four in the morning, five in the morning now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Will's been going out and getting them roughly about three-ish and going on to just before it uh, comes up and uh, like a Muppet I've been watching with him so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's that's Will Photography by the way he's got a page on Facebook and a website and that so if you want to check him out and see the pictures they're really really cool so yeah not to listen clouds will probably be carrying on for the month so if we look at the first day there's a, uh, a minor planet which you can hunt for it's going to be more for telescopes because it is going to be quite small 
for once. It's a nice easy name that I can say. And it's 12 Victoria. It's a large main belt asteroid that orbits the sun around every sort of three and a half years. So what you should be able to see is you should be able to spot and track it through the month, hopefully. And it starts in the northwest of Aquarius. Uh, but there's not really any bright stars around that kind of area, so it may be tricky to locate at first. So over the month it's going to then move into Aquila, and the best way to find it is to look in the area you think it's going to be suspected to be, and maybe draw or jot down the stars around there, all the little white dots you can see on a bit of paper, then look another night and do the same, and you may have seen one has moved. So it's quite a cool little project you can have a go at doing, or you can get an app or something like that and star hop around, from one star you go yeah I know that's a star move to the right that's a star up there ah that must be it because it says it on the app so that's another way you can find it it reaches opposition on the 30th of the month but you can watch it through the month if you've got a telescope see if you can find it so moving on to the fourth we've got a nice morning mercury it's going to reach its greatest western elongation which means the furthest up in the sky it kind of goes before it moves back to the sun Although I believe the way the Earth and everything's moving, it will actually get a little bit higher as we move through the month. But tonight's a great time to see it. It is going to be pretty low in the morning sky. It's going to be just under a sort of half phase if you're looking for it with a telescope. You might be able to spot it with binoculars. You probably won't see the phase with binoculars, but you can see it a little bit bigger just before the sun rises. But be careful, again, looking around that time because don't look at the sun. It's not good for you. Apart from last month when we did it properly and safely for the eclipse. Moving on to the fifth. Earth is now at its furthest point from the sun today, which is strange because it always happens in our summer and we think the further away you are, it should be colder, but it's all to do with the tilt more than it is actually the distance. It is sort of like 94 million 500 something something something, but I didn't want to say all that. So it's roughly 94 million miles. At its closest, it's 91 million miles, give or take a few hundred thousand, I should say. So there is quite a difference there of what, about two, three million. So when we move back and forth, Today's sun disk is kind of be is slightly smaller than usual. So if you're doing some solar viewing with filters or a hydrogen alpha scope looking for sunspots or flares and that, you may notice that the disk is you know slightly smaller in your telescope than it is normally. Moving on to the sixth, back to the morning. The moon rises around 2.30 a.m. So there's a couple of hours before the sun and it's not far from a bright cluster known as the Pleiades, which is the Seven Sisters, and it's to be slightly above it. Mercury is also going to join it in the sky around about 3.50 a.m. So got Mercury, the Moon and a nice bright cluster. While you're sat there having a look, there's also going to be a nice pass of the International Space Station. And it's rising about five minutes past four a.m. So five past four and it's going to start in the west. It should be visible. I know the sun's coming up a bit, but hopefully you should be able to see it. And it's going to fly straight up over the sky, setting not far from the Moon. You may be able to spot Jupiter and Saturn as well. They'll be slightly further to the right of the thin crescent moon. So it's all happening in sort of the morning sky at the moment. There's all those things you can see on the 6th. So it may be worth take the day off work the next day and go out and have a look in the morning. Moving across to the 8th, around 3.30 in the morning until sunrise, those early birds may get a chance of seeing a really thin 3% lit moon. With the planet Mercury, it's going to be sort of 50% lit this time and it's going to be below right of the moon. So it might be a good time to be able to spot it. Although a 3% lit moon is quite hard to find. I have seen it and it is really cool. Again, Jupiter and Saturn will be there and be visible. So that's something nice for you to see. We move on to the 9th. In the morning, it's the early hours of the morning. Around about 2.43, two of Jupiter's moons are going to appear quite close to each other. So you've got Io and Europa. Europa will be the top left one and Io will be the bottom right one. But just remember if you're using a Dobsonian or a mirrored scope, Newtonian, 
it may flip them a bit. So it's probably best to get an app to find out which one's which. But they are literally going to be sort of right next to each other. It'll be quite cool to see. Mercury reaches its half phase again in the morning sky, so 50% lit. So as it gets brighter, it does get lower, which is a shame, but it's still cool to see. And there will be a ridiculously thin 1% crescent moon rising just before the sun. I always think it's kind of like sci-fi, this really thin crescent just peeking out just before the sun rises. Now, moving on to the 10th. As the sun sets, see if you can spot the thin moon again. This time it's on the other side, so not in the morning sky, it's now on the other side. Venus will be following it, and as it sets, you'll then hopefully start to see the red Mars right next to Venus as well. They are going to start getting closer to each other in the sky, so Mars and Venus are going to close in throughout the rest of the month now, so it's a good time to spot them and have a look later on because you'll know where they are. If we move to the 11th, you'll see the moon has moved in the evening sky. It's now sitting closer to Venus, so you could, you know, should be able to spot Venus and the moon now because the moon would have got slightly brighter. The planet Mars will be slightly closer to Venus again, and it's going to soon pass underneath it. I move on to the 12th, back to Venus again in the evening sky. So the moon's above left of Venus. Mars would have now dropped slightly lower as Venus is kind of rising past it. We go to the 13th, we're now going to go back to Mercury. And now Mercury reaches its highest point in the morning sky. So it reached its greatest elongation, but it wasn't actually its highest point. So they're kind of two different things. So on the 13th is still a good time to spot it because it would have actually got brighter now, hopefully around 50% or more. If you didn't spot it early in the month, 13th, great time. Venus and Mars will now be at their closest in the twilight sky, so in the afternoon or evening. Hopefully be able to see both through a telescope in one eyepiece. Binoculars as well, fantastic, see it by eye. So it's gonna be an evening crescent moon still, but it's gonna be further to the left of the two planets now. And Mars will be pretty much directly below Venus. So you should be able to see them both there as the sun sets. Quite a cool thing to see. Now around about 11pm on the same night, through to 1.25 in the morning, if you have a look at Jupiter, its moon Io will transit the planet with its shadow in front of it. So as it rises, about 11 o'clock I think it rises, half 10, 11, you look at Jupiter and you'll see the moon and the shadow, it would already started and they'll be transiting across to 1.25am. So it's quite a cool thing to see if you've got a telescope. You might be able to spot it with binoculars. If you've got a steady hand and really good eye, you never know. It's always worth a peek. So if we move to the 15th, back to a morning Mercury, it would have filled now to about 70%. So it's even brighter now and easier to see. It won't be at its highest by a couple of days, but it's probably your best point to try and find the planet. Now the 16th, we're gonna to go to the moon. Bye-bye. Which is gonna be brighter. And it's a great time to see if you can spot the lunar X and V, which we have spoken about a few times before. So it's on the shadow part, and it's best seen around about 11 o'clock. And you should be able to make out a nice V and an X shape sticking out of the shadows. And that's where the morning light is kind of glancing off some crater walls on the moon. And if you can get a picture, you can do it with binoculars. If you've got a tripod, you can do it with telescope. Pop your phone up against it and take some pictures. You can get it really cool and really easy. Where no 
Right, moving on to the 17th. Now tonight, into the early hours, it's going to be Ganymede's shadow's turn to transit the gas giant Jupiter. And that's going to start at around 23.40 and move on till about 3.17 in the morning. So it's 11.40 to 3.17. The moon itself will start transiting from 2.53 a.m. So there's a chance you'd see both on the planet at the same time, which is quite a good thing. Pluto reaches opposition as well on this night. It is in Sagittarius, the constellation, but it is going to be quite difficult to see. Pluto's a long way away and is quite small compared to, you know, the gas giants. But it is definitely possible. You can spot the dwarf planet. Best thing to do again is, like we said about 12 Victoria, the uh, asteroid or the minor planet, whatever they call it now, is grab an app or a sky guide, star hop around from one to another until you spot it, make a note, have a look again a few nights later, or take a picture if you've got cameras and things like that and you can get the stars. And if it's moved, that'll be Pluto. So you can actually see Pluto and find it and track it through the sky. So great time to try and spot it. If we move to the 19th, there may be a chance to capture a comet. And it's 4P Fay, which is F-A-Y-E. And it's going to be by the planet Uranus. <laughs> Although faint at around 12.6 sort of magnitude, which is you need a large telescope really to see it, cameras should hopefully be able to get a good shot of it because they let in a lot more light and they, you know, they're a lot better at seeing things than our eyes. So you could get a shot of both together. Now Uranus rises. Quack, quack, oops. There's a joke there somewhere. At around 1am. And you really only have about a four hour window of opportunity before the sun gets in the way. And the comet will be kind of to the right of the planet. And as I said, it will make a really cool picture opportunity if you can get this comet and Uranus together. So that's more for the astrophotographers in the world. Moving on to the 21st. Venus is just above right of the bright star Regulus. It's a nice really blue star. And as the sun sets, you have the red Mars slightly to its right now because it's passed underneath it. So you have a kind of nice colourful triangle in the sky. Red Mars, really bright Venus, and then the blue Regulus. So it makes a cool little triangle that you guys can go out and have a look at or take a picture of. On to the 24th. And tonight's full moon lies just below the planet Saturn now. So it's moved right across the sky towards Saturn. So if you don't know where Saturn is, you'll see the full moon there. There'll be a little blob above it. Around about 10.30, both will look really cool as the moon pops up above the horizon with Saturn there. So have a look out there. If you stay up into the 25th, so into the next morning, Ganymede's shadow transits Jupiter disk again. And it's around 3.44, but it is near the full moon, which lights up the sky quite a lot. And the planet Saturn's going to be there as well. So you should be able to see it fine, but it will be slightly brighter because the moon's up. Now, if you watch the moon over into the 26th, so into the next day, you'll see it's going to pass under the planet over the course of the night and slowly start waning again. So the 28th, although low and not its best in the UK, Saturn does reach its opposition today meaning that it's going to be brighter and easier to spot. Jupiter will not be far behind as it's going to have its opposition in August, so not long for that one. So it's well worth taking a peek because as Jupiter rises this night, Europa and its shadow will be sort of mid-pass across the planet again transiting. So lots of planet and shadow transits this month. So the 28th, make sure you go out around this sort of date if you can, have a look at Saturn because it will be at its brightest and its rings will kind of like shine really well. Now last but not least, on the 29th, another shadow transit of Jupiter and this time it's Io and its shadow and Callisto will transit the planet together starting again as it rises around about 10 o'clock you'll get to see two moons and a shadow all in one go go across the planet so you'll have Io, Callisto and a shadow so that's to sort of end the month off something really cool 
that you guys can see, as well as the peak of the Delta Aquarid meteor shower. But there is a 64% lit moon in the sky, which may get in the way, rising about 10 o'clock till 2.36 a.m. It's a minor meteor shower. It peaks this night. The radiant is in the constellation Aquarius. So if you can find where Aquarius is, the constellation, it'll be around there they sort of shoot from. But you can see them shooting across the sky. There's around 18 per hour, so not massive, but as we know, meteor showers are very unpredictable. You never know what you might see. There might be fireballs, there might be loads. So go out and have a peek. Now the shower actually originated from the breakup of what are now known as the Marsden, and I think it's cracked sun grazing comets. So sun grazing just means they kind of go close to the sun and graze along it. So if you see a shooting star, just think that's actually now two comets that are broken up and are burning up in our atmosphere. So that's the end of July. Apart from, I have to talk about the objects of the month. So we like to get something for everyone to see. So the naked eye object that I've chosen, it's the summer triangle, which is a kind of pretend triangle that's created by three stars. They're really bright in the sky. So you've got Deneb, Vega and Altar. So if you look up at the sky towards Cygnus the Swan, which is kind of like flying through the Milky Way, its tail is the blue white star Deneb. If you find that star, draw a line down to its right. There'll be a really bright blue star called Vega in the constellation Lyra, which is the harp. Then draw another line from there down to Altar, which is slightly lower to the left, I believe, in the constellation Aquila, that's the eagle. Draw another line back up to Deneb, and you've created the Summer Triangle. Well, it's known as an asterism, and it's a pattern in the sky. It's not a named constellation, it's just a pattern that we've made, that's what an asterism is. So seeing this come up into the sky, let our ancestors know that it was a change of seasons. So we're officially going from spring into summer. So our binocular object that I've chosen is quite a cool little one. I've seen it and it actually does look pretty wicked, even though the object that it represents might be a bit boring and everyday for everyone. And it's the coat hanger cluster. That's a really cool group of stars that look like an upside down coat hanger, depending what telescope you're using, of course, because things flip stuff about. And it's like a coat hanger just sort of hanging in space. There's no clothes on it, I can see. And it's mainly consisting of blue stars, but there's a couple of white stars. There's a slightly yellow one. It is a small asterism, but with binoculars, it will look really, really cool, I think. To find it, what you do is you go to Cygnus the Swan again, which we should know from the Summer Triangle. And you follow Cygnus all the way down to its head. And underneath it will be two stars. They won't be too bright, but that is a constellation there. And it's Vulpecula the Fox. And the asterism can be found sort of below right of its far right star. So go down to Cygnus's head, drop below it to two stars, pick the right hand one, get your binoculars around there, and you should see this sort of upside down coat hanger, which is really cool. Now for telescopes, the object is almost next to this asterism. So I've gone for the Dumbbell Nebula, because we talk about the Ring Nebula quite a lot, which is, you know, a star that's kind of like died and given up its life. Dumbbell is exactly the same. So it's a star that has died like the Ring Nebula, the Ring Nebula is in Lyra, by the way, the harp. So as we spoke about it before, if you find Vega, have a look around there, you'll probably find it. But instead of seeing it straight on as a circle or a little polo mint in space, you're actually looking at it from the side. So it's like a dumbbell. So the star's in the middle and it's like the gas is coming out either side and spreading off into space. Now, the bit in the middle will be a white dwarf, which you probably won't be able to see, I'd imagine, because it's not going to be very bright now. And it's pretty much what our sun's going to look like at the end of its life, depending on what angle we look at. And it's pouring all sort of heavy elements into space to create brand new worlds. It's in between Vipecula the Fox and Sagitta, which is the arrow. And it's the opposite side to the coat hanger asterism. So it's to the left. It's in between the sort of two left stars of the two constellations. So hopefully loads of cool stuff to see. I'm now out of breath telling you about it all. 
So I'll hand over to Mark. That's awesome. Normally at this time, after we do the Sky Guide, I normally ask you what you've got coming up. And things have started to pick up a little bit for you, haven't they? I've been inundated by schools, which is fantastic. We've been asked to do a few in London, some up this way. And it seems like they actually want me to go into the school. So I'm not going to be doing online talks as much anymore, which I love. But it's not the same as going into a classroom and standing there and actually teaching and showing the kids and, you know, answering their questions and getting some crazy questions and facts thrown back at me. So I'm really looking forward to it. So yeah, it's starting to pick up again, which I'm really pleased. I hope I can fit them all in. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been picking up quite well for us as well, because we have been contacted by some people from Yuri's Night to possibly collaborate with some ventures that are going to be happening north of the border because the launch sites for the rockets that are going to be launched from the UK eventually are going to be on the Shetland Islands. Hopefully there's going to be some Yuri's Night Shetland events coming up soon. So uh, watch this space, as we say. Well, no, that's, that's really cool. You've kind of got Yuri's Night into the UK and, you know, bullied me into doing events for it. <laughs> <laughs> nice to see that it's, it's catching on now. People are going to start hopefully celebrating more and realising what it means and enjoying the nights. Well, now it's been recognised as an official United Nations Day which is also on the day of Yuri's Night, so it's the 12th of April. So you've got Cosmonautics Day in Russia, you've got Yuri's Night, and you've got the UN-sponsored one as well. So hopefully, because we've got the backing of the United Nations, there'll be more people getting involved with events. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, it's uh, always fantastic to have you back on the show again. Thank you for having me as always. It's always good fun. As we mentioned before, things are starting to get bigger and better as, as the months go on. Be like a glacier melting, won't it? A slow trickle at first and then becomes a river, hopefully. You know, it's it's already started with smaller events and hopefully it's just going to get better as we go along. But that does depend on how things go. No more said than that. (laughs) So that pretty much leaves me with one thing left to say. And that's what I always say at the end of the show. And that is stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening. And I'll speak to you all again real soon. Clear skies, guys. And remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. 
And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.